the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Well, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We always look forward to our visits. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Uh, the veteran Alan Dempsey is our engineer. And uh, Andrew Herdliska produces this show each week. And I'm very pleased that Whitney Cunaholm is with us from his offices in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. We're going to talk about his new book, The Essential Question, How You Can Make a Difference for God. Whitney, nice of you to join me. How you doing? I'm doing well, Pat. It's great to be with you. Thanks a million for uh, plugging in here. So what is the essential question? What's that mean? Well, you know, the essential question uh, really deals with an issue that I think just about everybody cares about, and that is, how can I make a difference with my life? And um, so most people try to do that in positive ways. You know, they're trying to, you know, career or family, education, uh, maybe service in their church, whatever. Um, some people are, you know, trying to pull it off in negative ways, but, you know, even people that are involved in gangs and so forth, they're, they're still trying to be noticed and, and be respected. But, you know, as believers, as Christians, we want to make a difference for God. And so what this book does is it takes you on a 10-week process through the book of Acts where you grapple with that question of, you know, wh- how does God want me to make a difference with my life? That's what it's all about. IVP is the publisher, and uh, let me just remind you that uh, Whitney is the president of Scripture Union USA and former executive vice president of Prison Fellowship Ministries. He's authored a number of books. I want to get into these 10 weeks, Whitney, uh, if we can get started here. And mm-hmm. So in week one, uh, you tell us the church is born... Uh, with lots of references from the book of Acts. So uh, fill us in on that. Well, you know, Pat, really what the book does is it, you know, like I said, it, it, it deals with that question of how you make a difference for God, and it's, it's, a, it's a process of reading through the book of Acts. So really you need two books <laughs> to use this. You need uh, the Bible, which is the main one, and you need this book to help sort of guide you through this process. Mm-hmm. And so what it does is it's, I've broken up the book of Acts into 50 short readings, and um, you read one, and then, you know, you think about it, and, you know, you read what I've written, and, and it becomes an experience of God's Word where you answer this question, Lord, how can I make a difference? And you ask, well, what is the essential question all about? Well, <clears throat> in the book of Acts, you know, Paul has his Damascus Road conversion experience, and actually that shows up three different times in the book of Acts, once when it first happens, and then two times when he's on trial, kind of telling, retelling the story. And in one of the times where he retells that story, it says he, he asked two questions. The first one was, Lord, what, you know, who are you, who are you, Lord? And in other words, who was speaking to him when he saw the light and, and all that? But in Acts 22, it says he asked a second question, and the second question he asked on the Damascus Road is, Lord, what would you have me do? And my theme in this book is that's the essential question. You know, once you've, you've come to faith yourself, the essential question is, Lord, what would you have me do? And, uh, you know, a few years ago, you know, our friend Rick Warren came out with his book, uh, Purpose Driven Life, and it really touched a nerve with a lot of people. Yeah, I'd like to have a purpose-driven life, but I think it left a lot of people with the question, well, how do I get there from here? And um, what I'm hoping to do in this, you know, what I've written is say, well, here's the way to have a purpose-driven life. Here's a process to help you sort that out, the assignment that God has for you. So the essential question is, Lord, what would you have me do? And so what I've done, and you asked, you know, about these, this first chapter here, <clears throat> I've broken it up into 50 readings, 10 sets of five readings each. So you, 
you know, you read five short passages, maybe one a day, and you're wrestling with that essential question. And why I think the Book of Acts is so, um, I think it's the perfect thing. First of all, it's an exciting read. If you want an exciting part of the Bible to read, you should read the Book of Acts, because it's just a fast-moving narrative. But also, um, the Book of Acts is the story of individuals and small groups who are trying to figure out, now what do we do? that Jesus has gone back to heaven. They were wrestling with the essential question. So what I want readers to do is to say, you know what, I want to figure that issue out for my life, and uh, I want them to read what others have done, the first Christians. How did the first Christians sort of wrestle with that essential question? So, you know, that's where where the book goes, and, um, you know, I'm kind of excited about it because, you know, as Christians, I, I think there's just a lot of believers that are saying, you know what, I I really, you know, I'm doing good stuff and I'm going to church, but I think there's something more here. And um, I think there a lot of people feel that way. So what I'm hoping to do is let God's Word motivate a lot of people into saying, I'm willing to step out in faith for God. Whitney Cuneholm is our guest. Uh, the name of his book, The Essential Question. So week one, Whitney, the church is born. Let's go to week two. The church begins to grow, and this... Uh, is seen here in Acts 3 and Acts 4. So fill us in on the growth of the uh, the church. Yeah, sure. Well, so, the you know, the issue is, so uh, the church is born, and uh, believers are trying to figure it out. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, as the church begins to grow, it's like it it's a viral phenomenon. You know, the church begins to spread in lots of different ways. And so, um, you know, dealing with this question, you know, this, Lord, what would you have me do? Uh, you know, I'm asking questions about, you know, what did Peter do, and how did he deal with that? What did John do, and how did he deal with that? And uh, you realize that, um, you know, part of making a difference for God is just being willing to step out, just have what I call just-do-it faith. You know, there are times when you can overthink it, and and uh, nothing happens, and uh, sometimes you just have to step forward not knowing uh, what the, you know, the outcome will be. I'm sure some of your most many of your listeners know Oswald Chambers, mm-hmm. um, who wrote uh, "My Utmost for His Highest," that classic devotional. And he used to say, uh, when he was sort of under stress, didn't know what to do, wanting to make a difference, he would say, "Trust God and do the next thing. Trust God and do the next thing." Sometimes, you know, you can overthink making a difference for God, and you just have to have a little bit of just do it faith. And that's what we see, you know, as the church begins to grow. They didn't have all the answers. In fact, it says they were just a band of 120 people. So it was the size of an average small church. And yet God used them as they, you know, wrestled with, Lord, how are we going to make a difference for you? God used them uh, to change the world. And uh, so, you know, that's what that's what we're that's where we go in that uh, in that second chapter. Now we move to week three, Whitney. Uh, the church is persecuted. Acts 5, Acts 6, Acts 7. Uh, what's going on here? Well, you know, a lot of people, when they say, well, I want to, you know, I, I'm okay, I'm in. You know, I want to serve God. I want to make a difference for God. Uh, so I'm totally trusting him. I'm totally stepping out in faith. And then they're surprised when things go wrong. You know, it's like if I, if I really am trusting God, shouldn't shouldn't sort of the seas part for me? And what we realize as we uh, look at the experience of the first believers in Acts is that's not their experience. Um, they, they had persecution. They had times when things went really, really wrong, uh, at least from a human perspective. I mean, a lot of the things that happened in the book of Acts, you'd never see it in your, you know, your ministry's annual report because it seemed like disaster. And yet uh, God was using that. It's his way sometimes of... Uh, making a difference, or making a difference through us. Later in the book, I talk about uh, what I call the shipwreck moment. And, you know, at the end of the book where uh, Paul is, at the end of his missionary journeys, he's on his way to Rome and has the big shipwreck. Well, you know, it seemed like a disaster, and yet God was at work in that experience and also then in getting him to Rome. And I think when we say, look, I want to make a difference for God, the reality is we're going to have our own shipwreck moments. You know, we're going to have those times where it seems like the bottom falls out. And uh, at those times, the thing to do is to focus not on success, 
but faithfulness. You know, faithfulness. That's how God makes a difference. So, you know, what I'm doing in this book is I'm using the book of Acts as a context to get people thinking about, you know what, how can I do that? You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm 20 years old, I'm 40 years old, I'm, I'm 80 years old, but I want today and the future to count for God, and I want some help to do that. Our guest is, our guest is Whitney Cunaholm, uh, author of the book, The Essential Question. <clears throat> More after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Hi, folks. This is Alan Thicke. And if you're one of those millions of Americans who owes back taxes, if you get nervous when the mail comes because you might get a letter from the IRS, then you've heard they're cracking down this year. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank account. Even your home or business could be up for grabs over unpaid taxes. It's all true. But it's also true that they're offering a new way out. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative, an important government program for tax debt forgiveness. It's one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered, so now's the time. If you qualify the experts at Optima Tax Relief, their team of attorneys and enrolled agents, will get you the best deal possible. Optima has an A rating with the Better Business Bureau. Don't mess with the IRS. For tax help you need, for tax help you can trust, call Optima for a free consultation. Call 800-711-5743. That's 800-711-5743. 800-711-5743. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Would you walk into your local police station and ask them to lock you up voluntarily? Of course you wouldn't. And yet, spiritually, many believers willingly hand over their freedom in Christ for the bondage of religious rule-keeping and legalism. Join us on The Bible Revealed, a new program where teaching pastor Phil Ayers works through the book of Galatians in a series appropriately titled Freedom. Join us Sundays at noon. I was inspired, uplifted, encouraged, and challenged. I'm no longer going to walk in fear of what my future holds. Everything was put into perspective. More than 5 million women have experienced moments like these. Women of Faith is coming to Orlando on Friday and Saturday, October 10th and 11th at the Amway Center. You'll laugh, worship, hear authentic stories from real women just like you. Register at womenoffaith.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Whitney Cunaholm is our guest from Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. His new book is out. It's called The Essential Question, How You Can Make a Difference for God. And in that first segment, we talked about the church is born and the church begins to grow. The church is persecuted. Now, Whitney, I want you to cover the good news changes lives. We're in Acts 8 and 9 right now. The thing is, it was a big issue in that day of was the gospel for everyone, you know, or was it just a Jewish phenomenon? And what God had to make clear was that, no, it was for everyone. It was for Jew and Gentile, for male and female. Everyone was included in God's plan of salvation. And I think, you know, that's a that's a key thing to understand, you know, the essential message of the gospel. If we want to make a difference for God, we have to be clear about it ourselves, but we have to be, you know, clear that it that it's for for everyone. And, you know, uh, we were talking earlier um, before the break about, a, you know, that this is a, a, a 10 week Bible experience where you, you know, wrestle with that question, Lord, what would you have me do? And. You know, I, I have to say that there's a secret agenda to my book, and it's it's not only to help you figure out, um, you know, what your calling, what your mission, what your purpose in life is as a believer, but also because it's a 10-week Bible experience through the book of Acts, I'm trying to help people also learn the skill, develop the habit of um, of daily Bible reading and prayer, and that's, you know maybe not so secret of an agenda. And what I'm hoping that people get in this, in addition to a sense of, you know, their answer to the essential question, but also a sense of what the Bible reading 
secret really is. And a lot of people come to God's Word and they think, oh, you know, I, I just need to read it. I know I should. And, you know, it's it's like taking, uh, you know, castor oil or something. You know, it's good for me, but I, I don't really like it. And that's because they haven't discovered the secret that makes it come alive. And that secret is that it's not just an intellectual exercise. It's an opportunity to meet God. So when we're reading Scripture, we're actually interacting, drawing closer, meeting God. And that's what people are hungry for. So when you come to God's Word, not just to learn biblical truth, biblical facts, all that kind of stuff, but you come to say, God, I'm drawing into your presence, and you get a sense of that, that's, that's the thing you can't get enough of. So my secret agenda, my, my, you know, sort of my main purpose is to help people answer that question, Lord, what would you have me do, the essential question. But I'm hoping that in this 10-week experience, they get a taste of, of, of God's presence, meeting, experiencing God in his word, uh, and it becomes a lifetime habit. Whitney Cunaholm is our guest, the book, The Essential Question. Whitney, let's go to uh, the first mission trip, mm-hmm. uh, which is week six, and uh, this is all contained in Acts 13, 14, and 15. Uh, can you walk us through the first mission trip? Sure. Well, you know, people are familiar with what uh, Paul did, Paul and his companions did, you know, sort of the courage that they had in going out and spreading the gospel and planting churches. And what I'm trying to do is use that as a model for people to say, okay, well, maybe you're not going to be as um, notable or as, you know, high profile as uh, the Apostle Paul was, and yet you can still have a di- make a difference. And uh, the book of Acts, even on all these mission trips that Paul goes on, there are uh, many what I call B-list Christians, people that weren't in the marquee. They weren't the, you know, they weren't the franchise player, <laughs> yet God used them. People like Philip or even Paul's companions, many of, time, many of whom are not even named, God does incredible things through them. And so the point I'm trying to make in this section is sometimes God uses notable, uh, you know, high-profile, high-impact Christians. Uh, but sometimes God has high impact through unknown Christians. And uh, we should never underestimate um, the value of letting God use us in the situations we're in. It could be in the home, it could be in the workplace, the marketplace, whatever. But, uh, you know, God's people making a difference right where they are is a really important thing. So as we look at the you know, as I walk people through the missionary journeys of Paul, which, you know, we're all familiar with, we marvel at Paul's courage. You know, when he got beat up and stoned and kicked out of town, he got back up and went back in the next day. That's a lot of courage. So we can, we can you know, uh, be inspired by that. But also we can be motivated by the fact that a lot of the work, a lot of the impact of the church is done was done in the book of Acts by people that never got in the headlines. And... Uh, I think that's also uh, inspiring. And let's go to week seven. More mission trips. Uh, we're in Acts 16, uh, 17, 18, and 19, and 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, more mission trips. Uh, what's going on here? Well, you know, Paul uh, just has this tenacity, and a lot of people say, well, you know what? Uh, you know, a thing about Paul is that he, you know, God appeared to him when things, when the chips were down and kind of told him, you know, uh, you know, keep going. You know, I'm going to take you to Jerusalem. I'm going to take you to Rome. And how, how, you know, that never happens to me. So can I really make a difference? And um, <clears throat> what we see in this passage is that the, these unknown believers, as well as Paul, there were lots of different ways that they perceived God's direction and God's will. It was through prayer. It was through looking at Scripture. It was through common sense. And yes, sometimes uh, the Holy Spirit, you know, intervened in some incredible ways. But what I'm in this section, what I'm trying to do is say, well, if you're wrestling with this essential question, Lord, would you, what would you have me do? Uh, we don't need to be roadblocked by the fact that some dramatic um, thing doesn't seem to happen to us. Sometimes God leads us through the still small voice or some of these other ways. And we see these first Christians who really began to make a difference. We see them uh, perceiving God's uh, direction in lots of different ways. And I think people need that today. 
you know, they're, they're wrestling with that question, God, you know, I'm in, I'm, I want to serve you, but how do I know which direction to go? And that's what I want them to see in this section. And now I want you to walk us through Paul's journey to Jerusalem. This is week eight, and uh, we're in Acts 21, 22, and 23 on this one, Whitney. Yeah, and this is, you know, what I was talking about earlier about the, you know, just how Paul uh, <clears throat> asked that question, you know, because it's in Acts chapter 22 where he's um, he's on trial and, and his former colleagues, the Jewish leaders, uh, you know, are all angry and he, he stands on the steps there. And, you know, if it were me, I had been saved by, from an angry mob. I'd want to get out. I'd want to get away from it. But Paul, he wants to get back and, and talk to them. And that's where he retells his story, you know, about how God met him or Jesus met him on the Damascus Road. And that's where he adds the extra detail, the extra bit of information, where he says uh, the second question, Lord, um, what would you have me do? And um, I think if people start asking that question of themselves, you know, they you get in the pattern of saying both in a macro sense, but also in a micro sense. And what I mean by that is, you know, in a macro sense, what am I going to do with my life, long-term calling, or what direction am I going to go? And maybe God will reveal that to people. But there's also a micro sense of asking the question, Lord, what would you have me do today? And when you, when you, when you say, Lord, I'm your follower, I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to look for what you, how you want me to make a difference, today, and you break it down into that micro level, that's when you, you, you really start to make a difference in life. And I would say, if you begin the day by meeting God, not just in his word, not just having, a, you know, doing some spiritual push-ups on the Bible or something, but really meeting, interacting with God, and then you, from that experience, go out into the day and say, Lord, okay, for today, for today, I'm going to try to make a difference for you. I'm going to leave the future in your hands. You start living that way. That's when you you start becoming a high impact Christian. And you know, Pat, I know you're in the sports, and I know you're all about in your career. You know, finding the high impact players. Um, well, what would it be like if we had you know thousands, millions of Christians living as high impact Christians, not for their own glory, but for God's glory? That's what I'm trying to get people to have a sense of not just from what I've written in, in my book, but more importantly, what they experience from God's book. You know, uh, my, mine, what I've done is just give them a, a ramp, sort of an entrance ramp into an experience where uh, they can sort that out for themselves. Whitney Cunaholm is our guest, the book, The Essential Question. Now, Whitney, uh, walk us through week nine, Paul's Roman trial. We're in Acts 24, 25, and 26. Yeah, and this is the the thing of so <clears throat> Paul was caught up in a you know the uh sort of the administrative bureaucratic you know uh bouncing around in the Roman criminal justice system and he had to be saying lord I thought you called me I I thought you had had given me a mission and so often today when believers say you know I'm going to I want to make a difference for God I want to answer the essential question lord what would you have me do you know, then things happen where you get sidetracked or there's detours or things happen. And what you realize by looking at Paul's experience is God is still at work. Sometimes he's at work through Roman officials, bureaucrats. Sometimes there's even one situation where God works in an incredible way through Paul's nephew. You know, so God uses all different kinds of people along the way. Uh, and when we think you know, maybe I've lost the trail, we can be confident that God is still at work. And so, you know, we keep asking that essential question, Lord, what would you have me do? But we can be confident that God hasn't abandoned us. We just need to stay, you know, focused on, uh, you know, focused on, you know, living out that question. Uh, one of the things I really love about uh, this challenge, I guess, that Paul had is he asked the essential question, Lord, what would you have me do? And God's answer to him was uh, really amazing. He said, get up and go into Mas to Damascus, and there you'll be told all you have been assigned to do. And I love that word, assigned. You know, and my, my premise in 
this book, the essential question is, God has an assignment for each one of us. And it doesn't have to be as dramatic as Paul's. You know, there's, there's lots of roles for the B-list Christians, uh, and yet God has an assignment. And uh, that's what I want people to get a glimpse of, and that's what you see in this section. And now we get to week 10, Whitney, Paul's journey to Rome. And we've arrived in Acts 27 and 28. Sure. And, you know, you, and what I'm doing in the book is walking people through that part of the journey where it gets stranded on Malta and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> but what I'm challenging readers to say is, think about your own experience. And this is where, you know, that thought of the shipwreck uh, moment comes in, where even when things, the bottom seems to drop out, um, you know, God is still at work. God was at work in the, in the situation, uh, you know, that seemed like a disaster. And I call that uh, ministry along the way. And I think it's an important thing to keep in mind that, you know, we sometimes think, well, you know, making a difference for God is I have some incredible, big, world-changing, you know, mission or calling or goal. And yet I think the biggest impact we can have is ministry along the way, the, the details of life where we step in and are God's representative. You think about the life of Jesus. He had the ultimate mission to go to the cross, to die for our sins, and to be brought to life, you know, the resurrection. And yet 80% of the gospel is ministry along the way, the seemingly random uh, contacts and connections that he made along the way. You know, so Jesus had the big mission, and yet he was all about ministry along the way. And I think the same is true for us as believers. Yes, we want to have a sense of, Lord, you've called me in a direction. But never forget that ministry along the way, the person that you're going to meet, you know, at the grocery store or uh, at work or the irritating person that gets in your way, all of those are opportunities for ministry along the way. And when we learn to, to live in that rhythm, that's when we really start to get an answer to that essential question. Lord, what would you have me do? That's when we really start making a difference for God every day. Well, Whitney, thank you so much for joining me. A terrific book, a Wonderful time to visit here on the radio. The essential question, how you can make a difference for God. Whitney Cunaholm is the author, and he's been our guest here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, AM 950 WTLN. Whitney, thanks a million. Great to be with you, Pat. We got more right after this. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. When our daughter Emma was born, we took a look at our credit card debt. It was not a good situation. We had been running up balances for quite some time, and it became a crisis. Finally, my wife Vicki said, call Trinity. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976 to talk to a certified counselor. We called them, they contacted all of our creditors, they stopped the collections calls, they got the interest reduced, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your bills, stop collections calls, wipe out late fees, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. We are now completely debt-free, and we will never be in the spot we were again, thanks to Trinity. If your debt has you down, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. My name is John. I'm Vicki. And I'm Emma. And, and we're, we're debt-free debt for keeps. That's 1-800-990-6976. American history is filled with heroes, but our children aren't learning about them. So our friends at Regnery Publishing have partnered with Peanuts for a new series of books that children and parents will love. What's the big idea, Charlie Brown? Where are you going, Charlie Brown? And who cares, Charlie Brown? Teach kids about great inventors, explorers, and humanitarians. Imagine learning about American history from Snoopy, Charlie Brown, and the whole Peanuts gang. Get your copy of these new Peanuts classics at your local or online bookstore today. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your hosts, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Dr. John Brooks. Families by Designs airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 950 WTLN.
You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Whitney Cunaholm, our guest in that first half hour from Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, talking about his new book, The Essential Question. Uh, we're right here in Orlando with Bob Cresson, president and CEO of Wycliffe Bible Translators USA, and his new book is out, The Finish Line, Stories of Hope Through Bible Translation. Bob, it's real nice of you to join me. How are you doing? Pat, I'm doing great, and it's a privilege to be on with you. Tell me about uh, Wycliffe and, and how you're doing here in Orlando. You've, you're fairly new to the city, I believe. Well, you know, Pat, we moved down here now about 13 years ago. So, wow. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, and you were probably around during that time. In fact, I know you were. So sure. It, uh, you've been a part, and others have welcoming us here. And so uh, it's just been a great experience for us. We moved here uh, back in uh, 1999, uh, basically because we needed to expand, and we felt like we couldn't do that in Southern California. So uh, we took the opportunity to come out here, visit with Campus Crusade for Christ and others, and, uh, yeah, moved. It was, it's just been a great move for us, Pat. The, the community has been great to us. And Campus Crusade are your neighbors, aren't they out there? They are, and uh, you know, quite apart from what uh, God has done to bring us here, uh, Bill Bright was very instrumental in that, along with many other people as well. But uh, the environment here and the platform that has allowed us to let people know and invite people to be part of something that's historic uh, this uh, great acceleration of the pace of Bible translation, uh, this move has really accelerated that for us. God's used that move. I want you to talk, before we get into your book, uh, I want you to talk about Wycliffe, uh, how many countries you're in and how many translators. And right. This all was started in 1942. If you could walk us through a little of the history of it, I'm interested in that. Sure. And just coincidentally, just before you called, uh, I was uh, looking at some uh, historical documents that were sent to me not too long ago. Uh, you know, Wycliffe does go back uh, to the 40s. Our, our founder, Cameron Townsend, actually was a Bible salesman in Guatemala. And so uh, Cameron Townsend was working with a young man there by the name of Francisco Diaz, who was his translator. And uh, they were selling these Spanish Bibles. And, and one day Francisco Diaz said to him, you know, uh, Townsend, um, if you really want to reach these people, you're going to have to do something in their language, which was Ketchikel. And he was selling them Spanish Bibles. And so Francisco Diaz reinforced with Cameron Townsend this idea that people should have the right uh, to hear. In fact, it's an injustice for them not to have the opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel in a language and form that they understand best, which is their mother tongue, and that was Ketchikel. And so Cameron Townsend actually did the first Bible translation in Ketchikel at the mm-hmm. urging of this uh, Ketchikel man. Wow. And it, grew, and it grew from that. So your next question was, well, you know, how, how many countries you're working in? Well, uh, we're working, Pat, in almost 200 countries around the world, uh, and we're working, uh, we're part of uh, around 2,200 different translation programs. There's more translation going on in the world today than, than ever before. Uh, so that is one of the things that is a, a marker for us. But the other is we take a look at how many translations are remaining. In other words, how many unreached people groups don't yet have one word of the gospel in their mother tongue. And and that's a goal for us as well. And we actually share that goal with Campus Crusade and the Jesus Film uh, that are right next door to us. So our goal really is zero, zero unreached people groups, zero Bible translation needs. And it's around 1,800. There's still 1,800 people groups in the world who don't have the word of Scripture. But that number is dropping rapidly. Uh, In the world today, about every two to three days, a new translation program starts. And that's just unprecedented in the history of the Church. So who does all this translating? Well, uh, maybe I can illustrate that for you. I was down at a a Bible dedication, the 531st Bible dedication in the world. There really aren't that many full Bibles. Uh, This was for the Kuna people of Panama, about 160,000 speakers. I was there about 10 days ago for the... for the um, dedication of the Bible, and it was just, uh, for those for listeners who have been to a dedication, it's just, this was just very typical, you know, the, 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 the Kuna Bible was brought into this large auditorium, there were about 3,500 people there, the pastor said the, the Word of God has arrived in Kuna, and all 3,500 people just broke into thunderous applause. Mm. Now, that was a big celebration. Now, the following day, um, <clears throat> we were in a small church, and there's a church there for 40 years that has been supportive of that uh, of the Kuna people and the uh, translation of the Kuna Bible. The four Kuna translators uh, who actually carried uh, a large portion, did the hard, the hard work of translating the scriptures, were there that morning, along with uh, a missionary couple 
uh, by the name of the Foresters. Uh, uh, they they were there as well and helped facilitate uh, the New Testament and then the Old Testament as well. So uh, that was that was a long project, forty years. Um, hmm. it, it took quite a while. the 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 average translation takes much less than that today. Uh, because of the involvement of uh, translators like the Kunamen, who really did the hard work uh, of of that translation, but we're also using technology today that we've never used before. So that's that's one of the reasons that the the pace of the Bible translation has accelerated. And we're also working in what we call cluster projects, things like that. So we're bringing more languages together in one place at one time. And then what we do is we help uh, facilitate, you know, four, five, or six languages at the same time, as opposed to just one language at a time. So anyway, uh, it's happening very, very rapidly, and we're working in more languages than ever before, but the numbers are dropping very rapidly as well. Bob Creason is the president and CEO of Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, located here in uh, Orlando, and uh, we're delighted to have him. Tell me about this new book you've written. Well, Pat, uh, I did this at the urging of uh, some of the younger people in our office, and what I mean by that, people in their 20s and early 30s, who uh, really felt like we needed to invite a whole new generation of people to help finish the task of Bible translation. So that is the the title, um, and uh, that's where the title comes from. And uh, the finish line. And um, what it's what it, what I tried to do is I tried to use the uh, experience that my wife Dallas and I have had along with our our four kids. We've got adult kids now. They're all adult kids, and we've got a grandbaby now. But uh, try to use our experience to illustrate that. And so through our stories and the stories of other people, uh, try to illustrate what's happening in the world today with regard to Bible translation, inviting them to be part of something historic. Because these, these the people that are in their 20s and 30s today, Pat, they really will be the generation that will accomplish the Great Commission. And Bible translation is a big part of that. Mm. So it was an attempt, my attempt, to try to communicate the, the urgent need, uh, but along with this invitation to be a part of it. Well, let's plow into the book. You you, you open the book uh, with a chapter called Leave the Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, Pat, I think for most of us that uh, have uh, spent any time around the Church uh, and around the Scriptures know how central uh, they are for our faith. Uh, I like to say, and, and it's, I don't own this statement, but I, but I do say it quite regularly, all Scripture points to Christ. That's the whole point of Scripture. You know, God used that focal point of Jesus, uh, his incarnation. Uh, the Word became flesh, uh, and I often say moved into the village to try to illustrate what I'm saying, but the Word became flesh, and uh, he, he lives among us now. I mean, he's going door to door, and he's knocking on these these remote village doors, and as as Bible translation gets done, people hear him speak their language. And so the first, the, one of the first stories I tell in the book is an experience that my wife Dallas and I had in Cameroon years ago. Um, one of our very close personal Cameroonian friends had a son who was killed in a tragic motorcycle accident. And so mm-hmm. we were involved in helping to take his body back out to the village so that he could be buried. Uh, his dad, uh, Leonard, <clears throat> who's also a focal point of the story, um, was actually hurt very badly in the accident too. So, uh, and it, it was very. It's just uh, anyway. The night in the hospital when Tonton died, I was actually there. He, uh, <clears throat> you know, died in my presence, and I'll never experience. I'll, I'll never. I'll never be able to adequately uh, convey in words how tragic that was that night. His only son died, and I had to go tell him that his only son had died. Mm. So we took his body back out to the village. Uh, we're, we're, we're there for the funeral. And, and for Dallas and for me, there were a lot of firsts. I mean, this is our first experience in Africa. It was during our first year there in Cameroon. So everything was new for us. And so we're, we're there at this funeral, and the funeral is being conducted in French. We had spent some time in uh, language study in France, so we, we had a good level of proficiency in French. Uh, and we could understand what the pastor was saying, but at one point the pastor turned to Leonard, and he said to Leonard, would you like to say something to the group? And he said, yes, bring me my tablets. And what, we, what, we, what I actually did not know is Leonard had already started to translate the scriptures into Yambetta. Hmm. So he, these tablets came out, and he started thumbing through the uh, tablets, and he uh, came to the, the part he wanted to read, which, which was the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. So your listeners, and you'll remember quite well that story, it comes from John chapter 11. Uh, Jesus had actually waited until Lazarus had died. So, uh, he, and he wanted to make a point. He wanted to communicate a story of hope 
to the people that were there uh, when Lazarus had died. And so he says to them, even though people die, they're going to live again. And so Leonard starts reading the story to the group in Yambetta. Now, before it would have, to, to, for me and for Dallas, my wife, uh, it was very strange because we didn't feel like people were really listening when, when French was uh, being used. It was a second, maybe a third, fourth language for some people. Uh, so they weren't really paying attention. But the minute Leonard started reading the story of, of hope and reconciliation to the, to the group in Yambetta, you could have heard a pin drop. It was amazing. People were just riveted on this word. And for them, uh, God was no longer, Jesus was no longer a foreign God. And he spoke their language. He understood, he understood their deepest needs. They were trying to make sense out of the death of this 10-year-old little boy anyway. Um, and this story provided for them the anchor that they needed, the hope that they needed. So it was it was just really very very dramatic. So that's the, that's how the book opens uh, is with that story, and it's my my attempt to try to communicate the importance and the value of the scripture in the mother tongue. Bob Cresson is our guest, president and CEO of Wycliffe Bible Translators USA, right here in Orlando. That's where they're headquartered. The new book is out. It's called The Finish Line. Uh, then you go to another topic uh, here early in the book, Bob. World changing news. Right. That's that sounds dramatic, doesn't it? Yes, it is. And, and you know, um, <clears throat> what I try to illustrate, Pat, is that when the gospel arrives, and, and we know this, but sometimes those of us that live in a context where it isn't quite so dramatic, uh, we, we know, though, that when the gospel arrives, uh, it changes the way people think. It changes the way they think about themselves, and it changes the way they think uh, about God. So it's it's very dramatic when, when that can happen. Uh, there, there's one story in the book that uh, is from Cameroon. My wife and I spent, uh, our family spent about 10 years in West Africa, Cameroon and Chad. And so a lot of these stories come from my own personal experience and our experience there uh, in West Africa. But one of the stories that comes out of a, a group uh, up in the north of Cameroon, Hidi, uh, and um, when, when, when missionaries go out, Pat, uh, you, you know this, and your listeners will too, they, they always look for the footprint of God. We don't bring God to a community. God's already present. So you look for ways in which God has already revealed himself to that community. So, you know, where has God left his footprint? And so uh, this couple, Lee and Tammy Bramlett, went to northern Cameroon. Uh, I was actually there um, and <clears throat> helped help them move into that village. And... Um, they, they begin to realize, you, you have to, when you move into a community where the language has never been written, you have to first begin to write, develop a writing system. Uh, you reduce things to writing so people can read them eventually. And so you look for patterns, and you try these patterns out. And they begin to realize that it, with verbs, all the verbs end, end in e, a, or, a, I, A, or U, every one. But when it came to love, <clears throat> they begin to realize that there was no U ending. And, and, Lee thought, well, this is, this is really quite, quite strange. And so he began to uh, look at how they had translated John 3.16. So, for God so loved the world. Now, we know that the love that's spoken of in John 3.16 is God's eternal love for us. No matter what we have done, God loves us. Now, we usually, in English, we have to look for a modifier. So it's God's eternal love. It's God's everlasting love. Um, in Hidi, they should have had a U ending for love, but he never did find it. So he went back to see how they translated it, and they had translated D-V-A, uh, which in, in the Hidi language would have meant conditional love. In other words, they, they, they applied it to their wives, and they said, well, you know, if, if our wives bring us water, if they cook our food, if they take care of our, 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 our children, then we can D-V-A our wives. But it's always conditional. And Lee said, well, you know, what, what about God? You know what can you know when when God loves us, He loves us with a DVU love, which is an unconditional love. He said the first time he asked the translation committee about that, there was a five-minute uh, pause. Now you have to imagine what Northern Cameroon is like. It's it's Sahel. You know some some listeners may Cameroon is a very diverse country. So down in the south, it's it's rainforest. You get farther north, it's it's much drier. So you've got a, it's hot, it's dusty. Uh, so you've got a group of people sitting probably in a round hut who are looking over the translation process, and Lee is asking them about this, this word DVU. And he said, for five minutes, there's this silence. And he said, then the, the men who were sitting around began to cry, and he said, you could see the tears that were rolling down their cheeks, their dusty cheeks. 
My guest is Bob Creston. We're back for Bob, more with Bob on his book, The Finish Line. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Hello, this is Dr. Dan Yachter of Elevation Health. I want to invite you to a very special event we're going to be having, the Dinner with the Doc on October 13th. Dinner with the Doc event, October 13th, and it's going to be held at our elevational locations in Castleberry and also in Sanford Lake Mary. There we're going to be talking about cancer prevention. That's the topic for the month at the Dinner with the Doc event. Dinner is free. Dinner is on us. Join us. You'll learn amazing things on how to get your body strong and healthy, your immune system healthy, to make sure you have the ability to stave off the growth and development of a deadly cancer. We're here to Health, Dr. Dan Yachter of Elevation Health. Please join us for a free dinner Monday evening, October 13th. Elevation Health doctors are here to serve you. Call right now, 407-687-9573. Join Dr. Dan Yachter for the free Elevation Health Dinner with the Doc event, Monday, October 13th, 7 p.m. Call 407-687-9573. That's 407-687-9573. There are more than 143 million children who are orphaned each year. Their future can change with your help. SOS Children's Villages is the world's largest organization dedicated to vulnerable children. At SOS Children's Villages, children are given a loving home, family, quality health care, and education until they can thrive on their own and lead a successful, independent life. Help SOS Children's Villages provide loving homes for vulnerable children. Visit SOSUSA.org for information on how you can help. Big data may be just another overused buzzword, but storing, sharing, protecting, and recovering big data is a big deal to companies, big or small. Barracuda Networks offers powerful, affordable, yet easy-to-implement solutions for data protection and disaster recovery, email archiving, file sharing, and e-signing, all designed to protect big data and simplify IT. For an online demo or to try any of our storage solutions risk-free for 30 days, visit barracuda.com slash big data. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Bob Cresson, President and CEO of Wycliffe Bible Translators USA, is our guest. His book is out, The Finish Line. Bob, I want you to uh, finish that story uh, before the break, please. He, he's trying this 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 uh, new verb out that they had, you know should exist the DVU love but but they had never used before and and so they begin to cry and they said you know what this means if we use that word it would mean that no matter what we did God would still love us and Lee just paused and said you know that's it so it's this DVU love and so you know they're they're beginning to develop a, a worldview that that word had always been there they just never used it before god's presence had always been there but they had not recognized it for centuries they had uh, rejected this e- everlasting eternal love but it had always existed so they retranslated john 3:16 and used that new verb with that ending but it began to change the way they thought not only about uh, god but about themselves that they were now worthy of god's love no matter what they had done Bob, talk to us about listen to this message. That's uh, the third topic here in this book. Yeah, you know, uh, Pat, uh, there's a story in there from, uh, again, from Cameroon about the the eruption of Lake Neos. Some of your listeners may remember that uh, back in the uh, mid-'80s. Um, it was very tragic, actually, because a lot of people died. There, there are volcanic lakes all over the world, of course. Uh, they, In other words, uh, there, there's water that covers what used to be a volcano. And every once in a while, these lakes will burp, and there's CO2 gas that erupts from those lakes. And so Dallas and I were actually studying French in France when uh, Lake Neos erupted. And there were quite a few people killed. Uh, nearly 2,000 people were mm. killed in that in that eruption. And so um, we do a lot of translation work up in the northern, northern part of Cameroon. And one of my friends, uh, Dave Lux, it was up there, and they they finished the Noni translation. And and uh, uh, the Noni translation has become the basis now. They're using that, uh, using a computer program. They're beginning to generate uh, New Testaments for some of the neighboring languages. And and uh, Dave began to realize that one of the translators that he was working with was an actual survivor of that Lake Neos uh, eruption. So uh, his his story is that he was actually an itinerant um, uh, evangelist when that lake erupted. So he had gone 
uh, to one of the towns very close to Lake Neos the day before it erupted, and he had preached the good news of the gospel uh, to this group. And uh, quite a few people listened, quite a few people responded. In fact, the way the story goes is that he had never seen as, as many people respond to his message as he saw that day. But there was one young man there who, who really heckled him. And so one of the elder, elders in the community turned to the young man. He said, you know, young man, don't do that because you never know when you're going to have your last opportunity to respond to the gospel. So uh, this pastor then left. He, he traveled to another village. He spent the night. The lake erupted. He woke up during the night, actually thought that he was going to, uh, to die that night because he couldn't breathe. That's what you know, CO2 gas does. It just robs you know, of, of the ability to, to breathe. He did actually survive that experience, but all these people then died. And so the point I was trying to make through that story was um, you know, the good news of the gospel is out there for people. We do have the opportunity to respond. There does come a point, however, where we pass then into eternity. Then we're held accountable then for what we've done with that message about uh, the good news of Jesus. So that was, that was what I was trying to illustrate through that, that chapter and that story. And then I want you to talk about the fourth uh, issue here. It's simply called Never Give Up. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, one of the one of the, the critiques I got about the book, Pat, when I first uh, let people read it was that there was a lot of hardship and um, some, you know, some, some death in the book. I mean, I, and I, I stopped to think about it and I said, well, that, you know, that's true. There's a price to be paid uh, for sharing the good news of the gospel. Whether we do it here locally, uh, we might pay a certain price, but certainly if we take it around the world and, and there's an enemy who doesn't want us to, um, uh, you know, succeed in what we do. So there's going to be opposition to that, uh, to that message. So what I try to illustrate there, uh, particularly through talking about some of my friends who have sacrificed, actually made the ultimate sacrifice for this work, um, is that uh, we should never give up, no matter what it is. God has called us to be faithful over whatever he's called us to do. And if we are faithful to that, he will carry us through to complete what he has pre-planned in advance for us to do. And I, I tell the story, I think, in that, cha- in that chapter about some friends of ours who actually um, died in a commercial airplane crash off the, the coast of um, Africa. And they had actually lost two sons to um, malaria a couple of years before that. So it's, it's a fairly dramatic story, but it's, it's, it's a way of trying to illustrate that they were faithful over their period of, of service and what God had called them to do. And I remember even at the funeral of the boys, uh, you know, Bob Chapman, who uh, was, was a very good friend, and he and his wife Ruth were killed in this commercial airplane crash. Uh, he used to tell, this, tell the story that, you know, we're, bat- we're bruised and we're battered. He would, he would quote a passage from Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, I think it is, where it talks about we're bruised and battered, but we, we never give up. We, we always make sure that uh, we're faithful to the calling that God has given to us. So that's what I was trying to illustrate there in that chapter. And now we get to a chapter that says words matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in fact, the story I just told you about Davu is, is also an illustration of that as well. Um, you know, one of the things we're committed to, Pat, uh, and I'd like for your listeners to hear directly from me, is that we are committed to accurate Bible translation. Um, we love it that God has called us to be faithful to His Word. So whether we're helping to translate using the New Testament, we you know, New Testament Greek or the Old Testament, uh, you know, Hebrew, uh, we are absolutely committed to the accurate translation of God's Word. But there's a couple of other things we're committed to as well, and that's a clear and a natural translation. So words do matter for people. So, you know, we, for example, when we talk, about uh, the seat of our emotion, we always talk about our heart. I mean, that's where the seat of our emotion is. But, you know, for communities around the world, they may talk about the seat of their emotion being in their stomach. So if you, if you translate literally, in other words, if you translate, when you see all the passages in English where, where, where the, the seat of the emotion is the heart, they'll misunderstand. It misrepresents for them what God is trying to communicate to them. So we're looking for a clear and a natural way to communicate the truths of the gospel. So that's what I was trying to illustrate in that uh, that chapter. And the Davu story that I just told a little while ago is an, an actual illustration of that as well. How about it starts with prayer? One of the, the you know, so often, and you know this, Pat, so often how an organization starts is often how it uh, continues on. Uh, it's, it's Things become part of your corporate culture. And uh, our founder, Cameron Townsend, used to say, we advance on our knees. And what he meant by that is, Prayer has always been a huge part of uh, what we do. And years ago, one of our uh, 
uh, elder statesmen started a, a program in Wycliffe, which is one of our, our our, our premier programs today that we invite people to be a part of. It's it's called the Bibleist People's Prayer Project, and I can't tell you. Dallas, my wife Dallas and I have been doing this for doing this for 31 years now. We've been a part of Wycliffe, and I can't tell you how many people have started praying for a people group that don't yet have the scriptures. And then it's amazing to see how over time uh, those prayers are answered, and people actually have an opportunity not just to hear, but then to respond. They have the full New Testament. They may have the full Bible as well. They may have the Jesus film. They may have recordings. Uh, but it, but it always, uh, it's, it's, it's always amazing to me. I don't exactly know how prayer works. I don't want to even pretend that, but I know it does. And so inviting people to prayer, pray for Bibleist people, those people that don't yet have one word of Scripture in their language, uh, is very effective. God tells us that our prayers accomplish a great deal. And so we invite people to be part of the, the Bible's People's Prayer Project and try to illustrate that through that chapter, just letting people know that if they'd like to be a part of that, they can go to our website, Wycliffe.org, and, and sign up and be part of uh, a Bible translation. You know, they can be a very vital part of the team just by praying. Give us uh, 60 seconds in closing, Bob, uh, on your last chapter. It's simply called A Call to Action. You know, Pat, if your listeners would like to be a part of this, we'd love to uh, help them and facilitate uh, what what God is already doing in their hearts. They can go to our website, org, and Bibleist People's Prayer Project would be a great way for people to get involved. But if, if people are being motivated to give, there are great opportunities uh, to invest in Bible translation that they, they'll find on our website. And we still need people. And, and really what I'd like people to hear in this last uh, just few seconds is that we don't just need Bible translators, although we do. We need pilots. We need IT people. We need administrators. We need teachers. So so there's all kinds of opportunities for people to contribute uh, to being a part of the team at Wycliffe. So nice to visit with you, Bob, and uh, congratulations, and I'm glad you've got deep roots here in Orlando. Thank you, Pat. We're enjoying being here. Bob Crescent, President and CEO of Wycliffe Bible Translators and author of The Finish Line. We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. If you're the mother of a child with behavior problems, I'd like to talk to you. My name is Janet Lehman. I'm a behavioral therapist and a mom. I know what it's like when the child you love becomes a defiant, out-of-control child who disrespects you. That's why my husband James and I created the Total Transformation, the program that tens of thousands of moms are now using to turn around their child's behavior. If you've heard about the Total Transformation and wondered if it will work for you, now you can try it for free. I'm willing to give away a 1,000 programs today for free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep it for free. I know the total transformation works because I used these techniques with my own son and with troubled kids for over 30 years. Let me prove to you that it works by giving you the program for free. Call now, 1-800-241-0676. 1-800-241-0676. That's 1-800-241-0676. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Well, thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We do it every weekend and always delighted when you join us. Uh, in the first segment, we had uh, Whitney Cunaholm uh, talking about his book, The Essential Question. And then Bob Creason, who uh, is located here with Wycliffe Bible Translators and has a new book out called The Finish Line, and we were happy that Bob joined us. Uh, please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. Uh, the Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, my le- most recent book is out. It's called Ahead of the Game, my life story, the Pat Williams story. It's in bookstores now in the sports section. I uh, hope you enjoy it, and you can always check out books on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, We will be back next weekend for more, and uh, always delighted when you join us for the Power Hour on AM 950 WTLN. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. 
the new 950 WTLN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.